Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation, committed to helping more Mississippians obtain post-secondary credentials, college certificates, and degrees that lead to employment. More information about Woodward Hines Education Foundation at woodwardhines.org. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, September 6th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, young Mississippian talks about living in the shadows before gaining DACA status. She shares fears and concerns now that the president is phasing out the program. State lawmakers and stakeholders are looking for facts in the lottery study. Find out what they're learning. It's to give the facts. It's not to make a recommendation for or against the lottery. In the end, whenever we have our final product, there will not be a recommendation. It will just be facts about the lotteries. And it's been eight years since the last federal minimum wage increase. We'll hear from a researcher who says an increase could help more than 40 percent of Mississippians. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Young, undocumented immigrants in Mississippi are fearful of deportation now that President Donald Trump has announced the phase out of a protection program. The Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or DACA, program allows some immigrants to remain in the U.S. if they were brought into the country as young children. It is a two-year renewable status that allows them to work or to attend college without fear of being deported. U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions has said the program is illegal under Trump's phase-out whenever the DACA recipient's two-year periods end, their work permit and driver's license also expire. Attorney Patricia Ice is the legal project director at the Mississippi Immigrants' Rights Alliance. She tells MPB's Desiree Frazier the program has been beneficial. I think that the program has been extremely beneficial to the almost one million youth that it has served. I know here in Mississippi, um, it is predicted that we will lose about $62 million in gross domestic product um, with the loss of recipients of, of DACA, with the loss of their being able to work. So it's going to be both an economic loss as well as a loss of benefits for young people. For example, most DACA recipients have employment authorization, and with the employment authorization, the state of Mississippi has allowed them to get driver's licenses. 
So when their DACA status ends, they will no longer be able to get a driver's license. So their mobility will be impaired in addition to not being able to work anymore because they won't have work authorization and they will just be handicapped. In terms of their ability to um, stay in the country, does this get rid of that altogether? It depends. Some people may be able to apply for other forms of immigration relief or immigration benefits, as we call them, depending upon their status. But it's a tragedy for those who do not have any other form of um, or any other pathway to permanent residence or citizenship. Is there a panic? Yes, there's a panic. People are crying and wondering what they're going to do because some people's statuses are ending earlier than others. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us about this issue. Well, thank you. Nearly a 1,000 DACA recipients are in Mississippi. Daniela Gonzalez is a DACA recipient in the state. She tells MPB's Desiree Frazier she's concerned for her family's future. DACA was a great opportunity for, um, you know, us that were brought as kids. And we grew up here in America, and this is um, the place that we see as our home. And um, having DACA, we were able to have... uh, a job, a better paying job, what, what, um, what we, and we go to college because now they ask for social security numbers and IDs. And before DACA, we weren't able to have that. And, um, even though, you know, um, the state of Mississippi charged, uh, double for a non-U.S. citizen because I, we don't have a resident, but we have a work permit. So, but it still doesn't count, like, residents, you know. So they charge like double instead of um, what a regular U.S. citizen pays for a semester. But we used to work in extra hard as immigrants, so we we still do it, you know. We we rather we're willing to do whatever it takes to get where where we want to be in, in life. And all we want to do is have a better life and you know make our dreams come true. What is your dream? I want to become a a lawyer one day. What is it um, about this program that so many young people have said, I'm going to sign up, even though their information could be shared with ICE? We had to take the risk. We had to do it. We had, it was either that or we will still be living in the shadows like we were living, you know, before I before we got the DACA, I was here for over ten years, not having a driver license or um, you know or be like feel secure to share my name, my story. We're we're just ready to for whatever happens, you know. If it, if it happens that we have to go back, well, if we have no other choice, then we will do it. We we as immigrants ready for anything because we go through so much every day. Like people, and some people think that we're bad, that we're criminals, that we're just here to take their money or take their job. And what they don't know is that we have to work hard, extra hard, because some people don't don't like us. And I can just be walking down a Walmart holding my daughter's hand, and some people can look 
bad at me because my daughter is speaking Spanish to me. What did you think when the president said that he's going to phase out the program? Did you have an inkling that it was coming? Yeah, I actually feel um, really sad when Trump got elected because that was one of uh, his promises that he made, that he was going to terminate DACA. So, yeah, I, I had a feeling, but then I had faith. And I still have faith that something will change. So if you had to leave this country, would you fear going to Mexico City? Yes. Why? I don't know anything about it. I have I've, I have my mom's mother there, but she's very old. And I haven't seen her in 15 years. I, I, I don't know how things work there. Do you feel like you're an American? I've been here so long that I see Mississippi as my hometown. Well, Daniela... We thank you and all the best to you. Thank you. Nearly a thousand DACA recipients are in Mississippi. Daniela Gonzalez is there is the DACA recipient, a DACA recipient in the state. The Department of Homeland Security will renew permits until October fifth. In a statement, Trump said he's giving Congress a change to finally act. That body can change immigration laws. Coming up, a group of state lawmakers are studying the potential impact of a lottery in Mississippi. What have they learned? This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, professor of medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Atrial fibrillation is the most common heart rhythm problem people have and puts sufferers at risk for stroke, heart attack, and other problems. Another term for atrial fibrillation is AFib. In people with AFib, the electrical signals that control the heartbeat become abnormal. As a result, the top two chambers of the heart don't pump effectively, and the blood moves slowly out of these chambers. As the blood pools, it can form clots. These clots can travel to the brain through the blood vessels and cause a stroke. The risk of AFib can be reduced by controlling blood pressure, limiting alcohol to one to two drinks in one day, limiting caffeine intake, treatment of an overactive thyroid gland if present, and, of course, getting regular exercise. Symptoms of atrial fibrillation include palpitations, a feeling that your heart is jumping or skipping beats, running out of sync, tightness in the chest, feeling lightheaded dizziness or that you might pass out, or having trouble breathing, especially with exercise. If AFib is suspected, the diagnosis will be confirmed by a test called an electrocardiogram, which measures the electrical activity in the heart. AFib is treated several ways. These include medicines to control the speed or rhythm of the heart, medicines to keep clots from forming, a treatment called cardioversion that involves applying a mild electrical current to the heart to fix the rhythm, a treatment called ablation, which uses heat or cold to destroy the small part of the heart that is sending the abnormal electrical signals, or a heart pacemaker. Pacemakers are implanted in your body and send electrical signals to the heart to control the heartbeat. Most folks with atrial fibrillation are able to live normal lives, but it's important to take the medicines and follow the instructions provided by your physician to reduce the chances that AFib will cause a stroke. 
For more health tips and medical information, listen for Southern Remedy each weekday at 11, where the doctors are always in. For MPB Think Radio, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Information on how to make good health a family affair is available at bcbsms.com. Live healthy, live blue. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A study committee is reviewing the good and bad other states experience while implementing their lotteries. Mississippi is one of seven states without a lottery. In a meeting Tuesday at the state capitol, the nine-member group shared findings. The study committee looked at how lotteries were implemented in five states, including Louisiana and Arkansas. Of the states observed by the committee, four of them made tens of millions of dollars in 2015. Wyoming did not pull the winning ticket that year, losing half a million dollars. The committee will not conclude its research with an official recommendation. Republican Representative Richard Bennett of Long Beach is committee chair. He tells MPB's Mark Rigsby the study is nearing the final phase. We're about two-thirds through the process of our study. We've uh, had two meetings. The committee has traveled to Arkansas, we've traveled to Louisiana, and we've talked to uh, our other neighboring states about the lottery, how they set one up, what they did, what the problems are, and what the benefits are. And what are the benefits at, at this point? Is it just strictly dollars? Absolutely. Benefits are just strictly dollars. We went through an extensive, detailed PowerPoint presentation during the meeting. What have you learned from those states? I think the first thing you've got to do, you have, you have to have competent people running your lottery. You have to have people who know what they're doing. I think you have to bring in professionals to operate it and run it. If you don't, you're going to be a failure. And uh, Arkansas started off and some of the other places started off in a direction and realized they weren't going in the right direction, had to reorganize, revamp how they have their commission and stuff. And so I think it's real important that we look at their failures and see what they did wrong. We're going to have one more meeting and then we should have our final product uh, about six weeks after that. There was also, right at the very end, some details about the lessons learned from the other states. What's the most important lesson learned in your mind if Mississippi were to take that type of advice and implement a lottery here? I don't think any public funds need to put in start in a lottery either. Some of the states you saw did use public money. Some did not. They borrowed money from a bank. It was paid back pretty quickly. But again, I don't think you need to put public funds into creating a lottery. I think the lottery, and another thing is, again, if you dictate where the money or where the proceeds are going to go, let's say someone says put in public health, let's say someone puts it in education or wherever you choose to put the money, again, I'd recommend against that because it's a shell game. If you put in education, that's less money from the general fund that's going to go there. So, again, let's not play games. Just put in the general fund and appropriate it how it should be appropriated. Do you think that's any indication of the level of interest for a lottery right now? I do. I believe overwhelmingly the people of Mississippi want the lottery. And I've told people many a times that me as a legislator outside of this, the only reason I would be for a lottery is because the people I represent want to play it. They want the lottery. My personal feelings are not a part of this. It's, it's I represent 25,000 people, and that is their vote, not my vote. And I believe overwhelmingly those people want a lottery, and so that's why if it came to the floor, I would vote for it. Chairman Bennett, thanks for being on Mississippi Edition. We do appreciate your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. 
A state lottery was prohibited by the state constitution until 1992 when voters rescinded the portion of the law that stood against it. Since that time, no legislature has enacted a state lotto. Vicksburg Mayor George Flaggs was in the legislature during most of that time. He tells MPB's Mark Rigsby he has not yet formed an opinion. I think what this committee is charged to do is get all the information and it's more of a fact-finding uh, mission, and then we'll present it to the legislators and let them make the determination. I think what we're doing now, and I think they're heading in the right direction. I think the chairman's doing a great job on getting the information. We went to Louisiana, went to Arkansas, and we've uh, looked at Wyoming and Nebraska. So we're just getting all the information, and then at the uh, conclusion of this meeting, we're going to give the facts to the legislators and let them make the decision. And I think that's the best way to go. He's talking about bringing in the mental health agent. He's talking about bringing in the religious community. He's talking about bringing in the gaming community. So everybody will have some input in this. Addiction could play into it. Is that still one of your concerns? still my concern. That's the reason why in the next meeting he's going to have mental health here. He's going to have the gaming here. He's going to have social uh, outlet and social organization here to determine and to give their input. I'm willing to bet you at the end of the day, this legislature, as they've always done, going to make the right decision. In your mind, if it came to a point where social impact or even religious influence would outweigh the actual dollar amount that would be generated from a lottery that would go into the state coffers, would you say no to a lottery? If I was voting and it had negative consequences, had negative impact on our religious community, negative impact on our social community, negative impact on our revenue stream, I would absolutely say no. But you're not there yet. No, I'm not there yet. I'm still in the facts-finding mode. I'm going to be very open and honest with the process. I'm going to work with the chairman and make certain that we get all the information. I'm going to go back and study information, and I'm going to make sure that we have great information to give to our colleagues. Vicksburg Mayor George Flaggs with our Mark Rigsby. Governor Phil Bryant has called for a state lottery. Fellow Republican House Speaker Philip Gunn does not support it. Coming up, the fight for a minimum wage increase continues in Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Trustmark, featuring My Trustmark online and mobile banking. Monitor accounts and information, transfer funds, create special alerts and reminders. Details at Trustmark.com. Member FDIC. You're listening to Mississippi Edition. More than 40% of Mississippians could benefit from a minimum wage increase. That's according to an analysis from the National Employment Law Project. It's been eight years since the last increase in the federal minimum wage. In the Raise the War, Raise the Age, let me try that again. In the Raise the Wage Act of 2017, congressional Democrats have proposed legislation to raise the federal minimum wage to $15 by 2024. The analysis shows the increase would deliver large pay increases to workers in the states with the lowest minimum wages. They say that includes more than 20 million workers in the 21 states whose minimum wages are still stuck at the federal minimum of $7.25. Mississippi has the highest share of wage earners that could benefit. Mitchell Hirsch is an author of the report. He tells us the minimum wage is a poverty-level wage. Well, the last time Congress acted to raise the federal minimum wage was 10 years ago when George W. Bush was president. That act increased the federal minimum wage in three steps, the last one being 
in July of 2009. That's eight years ago when the federal minimum wage was raised to what it is now, a mere $7.25 an hour. What was it prior to that if there were three steps? What was the original? Uh, when they passed that act, it was $5.15 back in, in 2007. Seven twenty-five. yet some states have increased their minimum wage. How many states are still paying seven twenty-five an hour? Well, there are currently 21 states that are still stuck at the federal minimum wage of $7.25, a poverty-level wage that hasn't been raised for eight years now. The South is disproportionately represented among those 21 states. Nearly half of them are southern states, and Mississippi has the unfortunate distinction of being one of those states. And certainly one of the poorest states in the country. If someone has a full-time job being paid minimum wage, are they at the poverty level or below the poverty level? They're well below the poverty level, even within a household of two or three persons. The problem is that the federal minimum wage was designed as a core labor standard that was created initially during the Great Depression as part of President Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal. Its purpose is to provide an adequate wage floor capable of ensuring that workers everywhere in the U.S. are paid enough to afford at least the basics. But the failure to frequently and adequately raise that federal minimum wage over time, including over the last eight years, has so eroded its value that low-wage workers today are paid less in real dollar terms than their counterparts were 50 years ago. What is the Raise the Wage Act? The Raise the Wage Act is legislation that was introduced in May of this year by congressional Democrats in both the House and the Senate. And under the Raise the Wage Act of 2017, the federal minimum wage, if enacted, would increase to $15 an hour by 2024, PEG increases thereafter annually to rising median wages so that the minimum wage would go up uh, with average wages so that low-wage workers wouldn't get left behind when others were having their wages raised. And it would also gradually eliminate the outrageous sub-minimum wage for tipped workers and many workers with disabilities which has been stuck at the federal level of a preposterous $2.13 an hour since the 1990s. Why hasn't that changed? A very good question. Politically, the restaurant lobby in particular has held enormous political sway in state legislatures and in Congress, and they have thrown their weight around and unfortunately have been able to keep this kind of carve-out for themselves where their restaurant businesses, in essence, are exempt from paying the same minimum wage that other businesses are. And there's really no good reason for that. They say that it allows people to make more money because they earn tips. But tips are not wages, and they do fluctuate, and they're certainly not guaranteed. So the the completely unfair treatment of tipped workers 
under the sub-minimum wage is something that the Raise the Wage Act would address, gradually eliminating it over time. There are plenty of lawmakers who will say you can't raise the minimum wage because small businesses will close. They'll have to lay off workers, and that means more work for those who are still employed. We hear this every time in every locale, be it on the federal level, state level, or in in cities uh, and counties where there's an effort to raise the minimum wage. 29 states have raised their state minimum wages above the federal minimum, and you don't see negative economic consequences in any of those states. In fact, States with higher minimum wages than the federal minimum tend to have more robust and dynamic economic growth than states stuck at the federal 725. Why is that? They're able to spend more, and that drives consumer spending, which drives economic growth and thriving businesses in local communities. Mitchell Hirsch is a worker and advocate for the National Employment Law Project. Mitchell, thank you very much for being with us. Are oh, you welcome, Karen. A group of Mississippians have joined a national movement to raise the minimum wage. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Fixed at 101. Then at 10, it's Everyday Tech. And at 11, Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8. 30 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio.